welcome to Fostering Inner Child Podcast. My name is Melana Macias, and I'm your Christ-centered child deliverance coach. I help parents understand trauma and behavioral issues from a biblical spiritual perspective and empower them to take authority. If this is your first time listening to me, thank you for taking the time. If you haven't already joined my Facebook page, please go over and check us out at Fostering Inner Child. I would love to have you. So today, I... For the last couple of weeks, it's been on my mind to uh, tell my testimony. Now, my testimony is my entire life story because God's been working in and through, through me, helping me for all of my life. So, excuse me. I wanted to get on here because I promised the Lord a few years ago. I said, everyone I meet, everyone I talk to, I'm going to tell about my, my, my testimony. Because why? Because it's, it's given God glory, one. And two, if you've been through any of the situations that I have been through, I'm, I want you to know that what God's done for me, he will do for you. So um, <clears throat> just know that this is not, you know, to talk about me, this is talk about him and what he's done through me, okay? <clears throat> but in order to do that, I have to tell you from the beginning up until now. So trust me, I have I have lots of stuff to, to talk about. And I come from a background that's just kind of wild. I, just let me get to it. <laughs> so starting off, when when I came into the world, my both my parents have already done with kids, right? I was an accident baby. Um, my brother and my sister are 14 and 16 years older than me. So they were already getting ready to leave home, you know, once I was like seven, six and seven. So I pretty much might as well say that I was an only child I, because I kind of was. And <clears throat> I... For the first few years of school, I actually attended a Christian school, and I loved it. I loved the Christian school, so I had the Bible was instilled into me from a very young age. You know, I, I loved it. I loved the Christian school, but my parents they 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 was unable to afford me to continue there because of the tuition. So they decided that they were going to uh, homeschool me. And not to discredit or, 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 or not honor my mother, but it, she just was not able to, uh, she was not meant to be a teacher. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so I kind of just kind of taught myself whatever, and that didn't work out too well later, but um my mom, my mom uh, was a very much a overprotective person. And when I say overprotective, uh, I, you know, there's a, there's a line that can be crossed where overprotection goes into child abuse. I'm a guardian and litem, and this would be considered, in my opinion, well, not my opinion, but the state that I live in, in most 50 states, is this was considered child abuse. My mom didn't, she never let me go outside. It was always a fight for me to go outside. She would, she always kept me indoors. 
um, when I was little. And she never allowed me to, um, you know, go have play dates or go have sleepovers. Uh, <clears throat> so she, but, but the big one was not allowing me to go outside. That's just, just crossing the line. She was always fearful that something bad was going to happen, like the ultimate worst, like a tick is going to get on me. I mean, it was, it was always, you know, something. So I kind of grew up in a house where I was, my, my mom was overprotective, but there was a lot of neglect too. A lot of neglect. My dad worked out of town a lot. He was, a, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, he put on siding on houses and and we we lived in a small little town of like 500 people in Bradford, Arkansas, in the in the country where my dad built the entire house himself. He even did the plumbing and electrical and all that stuff. Now, my parents, my mom didn't work. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad, like I said, he worked he worked out of town a lot, and he. He didn't make a lot of money, so we were kind of living in a state of poverty, so to speak. Uh, it wasn't, like, really bad where we didn't have electricity or water or anything, but food sometimes was scarce. I'll just put it that way. Uh, so my sister, like I said, is 14 years older than me, so as I was growing up, she always told me that she was going to take me out, take me. You know, she was going to get custody of me and take me, and I was going to go live with her in Houston, Texas. So she was working on getting on, you know, a house and a car and all that setups in order to, you know, take me in until I was 18. By the time I was 11 years old, I had, I only had one friend, guys, one friend. I didn't have any other friends. And this friend actually didn't live in the same town as I did. She actually lived in, a, in another town, I think it was like an hour, hour and a half away from Bradford. And I would only see her sometimes because she didn't, she didn't live with her grandparents, but she would come down every so often and, you know, I would hang out with her. But she was literally my only friend for years, like until I left, um, till I left Bradford and to go live with my sister, she was my only friend. And she lived literally like next door. Well... When one of the times I was going to go see her, I was going to go and ride with her grandparents and my mom was not having it, but she never lets me do anything. So I'm, you know, I'm 11. I am like, I want to go hang out with a friend. I want to go spend the night with her. And so I, I sort of had an argument with her and she finally just gave up and let me go. And so I was able to go over there. And that's when the first trauma happened to me. So that during that time, while the grandma was in the kitchen, the grandpa, which would always was nice to me, um, he took advantage of me and molested me, even though his wife was in the other room. So this is where my first trauma happened as a child. So I didn't tell my mom and dad because I didn't have a really a close relationship. And like I said, I pretty much kind of just lived there. They 
fed me and and all that, but I lived in my bedroom, like, all the time. Like, all the time. And I told my sister, because I had a very close relationship with my sister. She was almost like my second mom, because I could tell her what I knew that I couldn't tell my parents. Our parents, I should say. So I tell her what happened, and then she tells my my parents. And it's not that my parents didn't believe that that happened to me. My mother had told me um, that it was, it ran through the family. It was generational. And that basically we're just going to have to get over it. And she never did anything. Then my father um, said that well, maybe it was my fault because of how I dressed, because I had shorts on. Um, so I didn't, I, the, the, you know, we seek protectiveness from our family, I mean, from our parents. That's what they're there for. They're, they're there to protect us. But during that time, they were not there to protect me. Instead, actually, they became really good friends with him. And he would often come to our house and come in our house, and I would have to deal with that. And, you know, that was hard. It was hard, you know. I had to go through deliverance from that. Okay, I've forgiven. I've done all that. You know, I, I don't even, and some people say, you don't, you don't have some kind of hatred towards what he done to you. Listen, guys, if you don't have honest forgiveness in you and you can't forgive someone that's done something to you God's not gonna forgive you and sometimes that's hard for some people I've I've known people one woman where she was raped but she said she would absolutely never ever forgive so moving on to when I got to be a teenager at age 13 I did get a boyfriend. Okay. I did get a boyfriend and he was three years older than me. Why you ask would an overprotective mom allow her daughter to have a boyfriend three years older? I don't know the answer to that question, but he was allowed to come over to my house and be, and we, and to be watched by my parents, you know, to make sure, you know, cause he's 16 and I'm 13. So by age 16, I, my sister came and got me, and I went to live with her. Well, actually, it started off as me going there for like a couple of weeks, and then I would come back home, and my mom didn't like that, and then it was about, I think it was about a year later, I ended up, um, my sister, she getting custody of me through the courts, and I went to go live with her, and she had custody over me until I was 18. Now, not full custody, you know, but partial custody. So I went to go live with her. Now, here's where the craziness comes in, because I'm about to tell y'all some stories here, the real ones. So, you know, I had the drama of the molestation. And then I, my sister... You know, I love my sister to death. She's She is, like, my second mom by far. 
Um, she's helped me so much in life, and I'm very grateful for that. She helped me get my first start, you know, by allowing me to live with her and, and um, you know, get on my feet. So I, this house, <laughs> she bought, she bought this beautiful house. Okay. It's, it's gorgeous. I love the house. I mean, it had, it had long hallways and a beautiful kitchen and, and it had a game room and all this cool stuff. I mean, she, it was a really nice house. One story, nice house. But <laughs> there's a thing is I'm not sure. I think some, maybe, uh, a witch or something had owned this house previously. Actually, I think my sister told me that, yeah. A witch had previously owned the house. We had found out later on. And when I moved in, I was I was seeing, hearing. I mean, that house was so haunted. It was, it was awful. It was, it, the house was beautiful, like I said. And, and, you know, my sister and everything was great. It was the house that was terrifying. For two years, I had to live in that house till I was 18, you know, and to get on my feet. So throughout these two years, it was like there would be, I would be in like the bathroom, nobody would be home, and then somebody knock on the door and someone's name, I mean someone's voice that I knew and say, are you about done? And then I'd respond back because I thought it was it. Then I'd come out like not even a minute later and there's not one soul in the house. But all our animals died. Every last one of our animals died. Uh, besides the dog. One dog. One dog. And there was uh, two cats. Five fish. I think it was five fish. I mean, everything we brought into the house, it like died. Now, the crazy part is, is that even after these animals were dead, I was seeing them. I was seeing these animals around the house, but I could see through them. These animals would look at me, and I would be absolutely terrified of this house. Um, and, you know, so you know, some days you would come home, and then the cabinet doors would be opening and closing. Um, I knew that Lord was giving me some, some sort of discernment because I was literally seeing these things in physical form when really I was probably, I know that I was seeing them as the veil was lifted. So I, I, uh, my sister wanted me to go shopping with her to go get this dress and I was more happy to go. And I had this candle in my room and it was on the uh, the window frame in between, you know, and then there was a plastic curtain behind it. And where we're going to this place, and I started to feel so sick. I started to get, I mean, I, my stomach hurt so bad, and I was like, I, I can't, we just got to go home, back home. I was like, I don't feel good. I feel sick. And everybody's kind of unhappy with me because they wanted to, you know, they needed to get the dress, my sister and her friend. But we ended up going back. But I believe that the Lord was drawing me to come home because when we got home, the smoke alarms going off, the candle that was in my room was in flames. And this was a big candle. And these flames were, were shooting up past the glass top three and four inches swirling in nature 
like crazy and it lit the the uh the plastic window curtain behind it on fire so half of it was on fire oh excuse me in the instant that it that we grabbed it and took it outside and put the top up we put a plate over the top of it because we were just in amazement like how is this possible it's almost like somebody threw gasoline on it i'm not even joking and you can't make this stuff up and so we're just talking with ourselves i've realized that i feel 100 percent better just like that i mean like snap a finger i'm like i was like telling him i promise you i wasn't lying i think that the lord was trying to get us to come home because your house wouldn't be here um so we left a candle out there outside on the atrium and we had a like I said, a glass plate over the top of it. And we just were talking amongst each other, like, how did this happen? You know, how this, how is that, how is all this happening? And then we go out to, you know, kind of like look at the candle and we lift up the glass. I mean, the, the plate, the glass plate, and it, it reignites and snap a finger. And we're like, what is going on? And I mean, that house was just so crazy. There were some people, like, friends that would not walk into the house. They they were terrified of the house. They wouldn't stay the night. Um, just so many things. I, I've seen orbs in that house. Uh, one of my sister, because we had, we had a couple roommates that lived with us. Well, my sister's roommates, I should say. And one of them went to bed at that, at, and that, like really early in the evening, like like eight or nine o'clock, and like an hour later, we hear screaming and wailing. Okay, and he comes out; he's all bloodied up, and he said something dragged him off the bed and threw him underneath the bed, and then started stomping the top of the bed to try to squish him. It was wild. And then the <clears throat> the other roommate that we had let me tell you I bet you that not one of you seen an actual person that's possessed because in all my years that I've lived I've only seen one person come I mean totally totally possessed I've dealt with a lot of I've dealt with a lot of people who have been oppressed and I can see it and I look at their eyes because the eyes are the window so but when you see someone that is actually full on possessed, I about, I, I was, like I said, I was still a teenager and the, our roommate, she was heavy debt, you know, getting into uh, witchcraft. We found that she was doing a lot of it in her room and she came home one day and I looked, we locked eyes with each other and her whole face was completely different person. And as she walked past me, I was like, trying not to look terrified because I don't want to, I would never try to give the devil any fear. I, you know, as I've grown in Christ, I have, my fear has shrank. But like I said back then, you know, I was kind of a, a lukewarm Christian. So I, you know, I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know how to, respond to what I just saw but I knew in the spirit like <clears throat> she's possessed and apparently she went and did some witchcraft came back out 
and she looked totally normal. And she didn't live with us for that long. She ended up leaving. We pretty much stopped contact with her because of all the things that happened. And we just didn't want a part of that. And she came back probably a year later or two years later, no, a year later, and said that she had got um, an exorcism done because she was possessed, which I already knew that. But I I don't know whether to believe her or not at that time because here I am a teenager and I don't know a lot of, like, I'm not... I'm not the baby Christian. I mean, I am the baby Christian then, you know, but now I'm not a baby Christian. I know so much now, but back then I didn't. So all that was just completely and utterly terrifying. So <clears throat> in this in this house, I would also have sleep paralysis, which I've talked to y'all about this before. Sleep paralysis is a demonic thing. The world has another term for it, that it's this when you, you know, Kind of open your eyes. You're you're in between sleep and awaken. Okay. Now that's when an evil spirit is trying to attack you. So I end up I end up going and I'm moving out my own apartment. Thank God this this place didn't have nothing. Nothing came with me. I was like, you know, and um, I have a roommate. I'm don't make much money, so I needed a roommate, which actually was roommate was actually my boyfriend that I have had. <clears throat> I know how that was wrong now. Uh, but then I was a kid. I was 18 at that time. But I also needed a roommate. So we got a little apartment. It was 500 square feet. Our relationship did last quite a while, but uh, I knew in my heart that the Lord was not calling me to be with this man. Okay. So I just jumped at, though from the frying pan into the fire because when I broke up with him, I did the worst thing I could possibly do. I got involved with an, uh, an Indian Sunni Muslim. <laughs> and I knew back then, even though I don't have as mu- didn't have as much scripture knowledge, I knew that the Bible said that you must be equally yoked. But I kind of, you know, don't listen to Holy Spirit, you know, you do what you want, you know. So I had a 16-month relationship with this man. Now, when he got began to got serious, he uh, he decided he was going to tell his father that about me. And because he had kept me a secret all this time because he was afraid of how his parents would react to me. So when he finally tells him, his father's like, um, he forced him to break up with me and to cut all communication. So I thought, I'm going to go talk to this father that I've never met. And I want to know why that he, that he, why is it? Why, why does he think, why is he acting this way? You know, what's wrong with me? Like, you never even met me. And so when he answered the door and I asked him directly, uh, you know, why, why have you done this? What is wrong with me? And he said, and it shook me up really bad. He said, if my family in Pakistan would know that he is dating a Christian white woman, I would have to send him home so they could kill him. And then he slammed the door in my face. I was so shook up, I got in my car, 
And I was crying and I was like trying to wrap my head around, why would you want to do that to your child type of thing? And I was so emotionally distraught, like seriously emotionally distraught that I'd worked myself up into a full on panic attack. This is where a demon came in. Okay. This is where a demon came in. And right at that moment, I'm driving on the Houston freeway, okay, in traffic. And all of a sudden, my arms start going numb. And so all of a sudden, it's going through my chest. It's going through my face. It's, it's, I, I feel all this pain from like hundreds of needles are stabbing, stabbing, stabbing. And I've started getting even more scared. So I'm making this phenomenon that I didn't know it was a panic attack to just spread. And all of a sudden... God intervened because I, right at that moment, I see a hospital on my right and I, and I pull into the hospital. I barely make it into the parking lot before I lose my vision and I'm curled up in a ball and I can't feel anything besides pain throughout my entire body and I can't see anything. And this pregnant lady comes over and she uh, calls over an ambulance because I was not at the front. I was just barely into the parking area. And um, the ambulance comes and gets me, puts me on the stretcher. I, you know, I go into the hospital. I'm waiting. And, you know, the doctor says that all you've had is a very bad extreme panic attack. And it can feel like you're, um, you're having a heart attack or, or you're, you're dying, basically. And that's really what I was feeling. I was, I, that spirit of fear came on me as soon as I that a panic attack happened. I had such extreme fear after this. Fear is going to happen again. Fear is going to happen again. Fear is going to happen again. And you guys, let me tell you, God did not give me that. That, what, what happened to me was because I was disobedient in knowing when Holy Spirit said, you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. You know that. And I ignored him. I ignored him. And so what happened is that God just allowed me to, you know, do what I wanted because he's a gentleman. He's not going to go against your free will. So here I am, the extreme, extreme fear. Now, um, I, for the next nine months, guys, nine months of my life, nine months, I was on Xanax. I was on, I was on a few different medications, which actually that when I had the panic attacks on the medication, because I continued to have these two, three times a week out of fear, the fear, the fear, and I would, that would bring them on, that when I would have them on the meds, it was 10 times worse of pain than it was off of them. And I finally went to a, they sent me to a heart, uh, a heart specialist in Houston because of these attacks. And he, here I am, I'm, I'm like 22, 23 years old. And he, he says, if you don't get these under control, you could have a heart attack at 23. And I was like, oh my, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So at that time, the only thing I knew what to do is I rededicated my life to God. And I started going after him with all my heart and soul. And it took me nine months to drive a car. Nine months to hold down a job. Nine months of my life I never got back. I laid on a couch. I watched TV because I was paralyzed in fear. 
everything triggered it. I would get into, a, if I had to get in a car, even with me not driving, I would have to pray, pray, pray. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I would be in such panic and fear. But the Lord, but the Lord, Lord is graceful, even though that we do when we do things wrong. So after about nine months of pursuing the Lord and getting right, and, and, and um, I was able to get it under control, and I was able to, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly um, get back out there and drive a car, get back out there and, and work. It was hard. It was hard because that, that was a demon that had come in. So I'm fighting on a daily battle of fear, fear fear and anxiety and I'm pushing it down. I'm taking my deep breaths. I'm making sure I don't have another one. And then, <clears throat> and then this is what happens when you follow what God tells you to do. You know, he brings this person into my life, this man that is now my husband, um, through MySpace, I had actually found his uh, profile picture and I was like, okay, he's Christian. You know, I'm like, seeing, you know, all this stuff on my space. And I'm like, I'm going to connect with this guy. Well, <clears throat> over Paradox, two years, you know, when I, well, actually, when I first started talking to him, I heard Holy Spirit tell me, he's the one you're going to marry. <clears throat> and I said, and I'd only been talking to this guy like a day. And, and I laughed out loud and I said, Holy Spirit, I am such a train wreck right now. I'm barely trying to hold it together. Nobody's going to want me. So I keep talking to this guy, and this guy's like really, you know, pursuing me, you know, online. Because we're talking online, because he doesn't live. He lives in South Carolina, and, and I lived in Houston at the time. So, so he... He keeps it, you know, we keep in contact. We're always talking to each other, always talking to each other. And I finally, after about a year, I finally allowed him to come see me. I know how crazy that sounds, but we've been talking long enough. And um, I told him, I said, you've got to buy your own plane ticket. you got to bring your own car. You've got to get your own hotel. And you cannot know where I live. I'm not going to tell you where I live. I will meet you in a public place. So see, I was still, I was still, I was being smart. <laughs> so um, he comes and he, he flies down and I'm like shaking because I'm like, what is this guy's a psycho? And everybody's saying, why would you, ha you know, have some stranger that you've never met, you know, come down and see you. And soon as, uh, as soon as uh, we met in a parking lot of um, a restaurant and as soon as he walked up to my, my car door, He's holding a flower, and he's shaking. And I just went, oh, my gosh, there's nothing to worry about. And we hit it off, like, not a little bit. Like, he stayed a week, and we were crying that we had to leave each other. We knew. We instantly knew. We instantly knew. So we actually only spent equivalent of two weeks together before we got married uh, a couple years later. And now we're about to celebrate our 16th wedding anniversary. So, God moves. He knew that I needed someone that knew how to take care of someone like me. Okay? About uh, 10, 
I don't want to talk too over here. It's already at 30 minute mark. Um, 10 years into our marriage, I was still had not got fully delivered of anxiety and fear and all the junk, all the junk. So 10 years into our marriage and two kids later, I'm like, I'm standing at the foot of the, my husband's bed and I'm crying and I said, I can't do this anymore. I, I got to go away. I can't. I can't deal with anxiety. I can't deal with the fear. I can't. And um, I can't be a mom. I can't be a wife. <clears throat> I can't do the things I'm supposed to be doing, you know?